Wendell Wallace here with Wendell's World of Sports. Man, for this promo, the theme for this promo, you need to make it soulful. Donnie, you got any ideas? What should be the theme when we're talking about this upcoming promo that I'm going to be doing? All right then, man. Let's get it done. Welcome to another Wendell's World of Sports promo and production in conjunction with giving thoughts and opinions about the everyday of sports at this function. To serve a tasty and delicious dish of sports talk like I was Iron Chef Bobby Flay, I slayed contenders and pretenders every moment and every second of the day. My podcast is devastating like the Georgetown Hoyas trio of Jay Heat, Brandon Murray, and Primo Spears, giving the competition tremendous horror and fears while being pleasing and agreeing to the sports talk listeners' ears. Stronger and more dominant than the college football program of Alabama. To daze and amaze the listeners with my sports talk and grammar. This is no gimmick, and to try to mimic in any attempt, I'll put you in the podcasting slammer. A sentence of life without parole will unfold a sad story to be told if you should be so bold and try to mold your show like mine. A crime that would be considered the worst of all time. I'll have to take a strong stand and bold stand like Kyle Shanahan did in putting his faith and reputation into Trey Lance. So if you step to me, it will be your last dance, and I'll play the role of Michael Jordan to save the people from another podcast that's full of lameness and boredom. Special dedication to my classmates from the elementary of Belpre to the middle school of Ephraim Lee to the high school of John Kennedy. My forever love and devotion to the Georgetown Hoyas basketball program in Northwest Washington, D.C. If you don't understand me, maybe you can comprehend and understand from the legend, the Hall of Famer, the one and only Booker T. Wendell's World in Sports, listen, subscribe, download, follow, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, and anyhow, you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication to the legend. Special dedication to my musical hero. Special dedication to my musical idols. Special dedication to the American icon. Special dedication to the greatest of them all. Special dedication to the soulful R&B legend. Special dedication to the man who changed the way that we look at society. Special dedication who helped our community. Special dedication to the one who helped society in general. Special dedication to the one and only happy belated birthday to the legend. The great one, Otis Redding. Just wanted to 
start that off. His birthday was September 10th, but doing my podcast here on the 13th or the 12th, whenever you're listening to this, just wanted to pay homage to a guy who touched the soul, who touched the consciousness, who touched the musical ears, who touched everyone around the world with his music, the great one, the wonderful one, the fantastic one, Otis Redding. And, you know, being an Otis Redding fanatic like I am, a guy who has, you know, read all the books, who has seen every documentary that he could get his hands on, every book that he could get his hands on, detailing his life, speaking about his life. I mean, this is a guy where, you know, when you take a look at his life story, I think you put him in the same category as a Malcolm X, you put him in the same category as someone who can be inspiring to all from where he came from, what he had to go through, the relationships that he forged, his inner strength, and of course his musical genius, his independence at a time when he was doing these things in only 26 years. Everything that he accomplished. It's, a, it's amazing how we have so many movies concerning other artists as such. We don't have one about Otis Redding, the story of Otis Redding, the relationship that he forged with the, with, uh, forged with the, uh, with the with the Booker T and the MGs and the Waldens and such, the way they helped and the way he helped their careers and such, and set up his family for generations of uh, wealth and prosperity. It's uh, in only 26 years, basically five years, of him uh, being a soulful singer and being on the road and making some money in that way, and touching our hearts the way he did with this music. It's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. My man should be the subject. My man should be known especially when you're speaking about our community. My man should be known. His accomplishments should be known. His person should be known. And not just in my community, but in all the communities. City, rural, doesn't matter. This country, any other country, this man should be known. This man should be worshipped. This man should be uh, applauded. This man should be bowed down to. My special dedication to the great one, Otis Redding. Okay, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I do that, again, I want to say thank you so much. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. If you like what you're listening to and you want to go ahead and help me out, give me them five stars on iTunes, if you would, please. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Amazon, wherever. If you could do me a favor, if you truly, genuinely like what you're listening to, go ahead and download and subscribe and rate and review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could do that, man, that would be fantastic. And if you want to see how this sausage is made in terms of me doing the video episode of Wendell's World of Sports. If you're going to be going over to that, taking down that avenue, go over to my YouTube page, Wendell's World of Sports. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. And again, if you like what you're listening to, go ahead and leave a comment and leave a like. All those things would be appreciated so doggone much. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, a lot of things to get into here in this country when you're speaking about the racist, ignorant, divided, selfish states of America. Of course, it's week one of America's pastime, America's addiction, America's hobby, the NFL, as far as sports is concerned. It has finally arrived, thank goodness. Teams, and as those who have listened to my podcast before when discussing the NFL, especially in the early part of the season, can't can't do it. I know we have something called overreaction Monday, 
where people sit there and talk about going week to week saying, okay, who should we kind of get excited about? Who should we be worried about? Which team should we be concerned about? Which team we shouldn't be concerned about? As Aaron Rodgers, we said, as Aaron Rodgers said, R-E-L-A-X in terms of a couple of years ago when the Green Bay Packers got off to a slow start when we're speaking about week one. I can't do it, man. Look, the games were sloppy, but they were entertaining when you're speaking about such contests when Pittsburgh and Cincinnati went and did their thing. Joe Burrow, I think, just threw another interception. When you're speaking about the tie, Lovey Smith, Black Santa Claus, Black St. Nick, the way that he was looking, Coach Lovey Smith playing for the tie. Now, Washington Commanders, Carson Wentz having a good game in their comeback victory over Jacksonville. As far as the Commanders fan is concerned, I don't know how much I should read into that. Not going to read too much into that. As I mentioned before, one week. Of course, there's some teams that stir our emotions more than others, and we'll get to those when you're speaking about the calamity of the Dallas Cowboys, the start of their seasons, the uh, Tom Brady final year as the uh, quarterback, possibly the final year quarterbacking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who may, who knows, man? He might go for another game or another 10 years. Who knows? But uh, sure, there's going to be some games that we're going to be focusing on. But for the most part, man, in this first segment, when I'm speaking about the NFL, I, I, I just can't. There's not enough data. There's not enough to go along for me to really get into a discussion on the game-to-game situation, not just as far as teams are concerned. But also individuals are concerned. I mean, are we really going to bury Joe Burrow after one week? Are we really going to go ahead and do that? Are we really going to go ahead and bury Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers after one week? Are we already going to start the conversation of Jimmy Garoppolo becoming the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers because of one bad game for uh, Trey Lance in the San Francisco 49ers? And I guess... It was the totality of the 49ers' performance. I'm not going to say that Trey Lance was the reason why the 49ers lost, but as we know, when you go ahead and you're going to be playing a team in the Chicago Bears that you should have beaten, and you're speaking about a guy in, in uh, Jimmy Garoppolo who, as the starting quarterback for your team, has led them to a Super Bowl appearance, who had led them to an NFC Championship game in the two or three years that he's been the starting quarterback for the team, that quite naturally there's going to be some concern if, Trey Lance doesn't reach the expectations that the 49ers players and fans and media expect him to be, especially after the lack of experience and the the lack of pedigree in which he came into the NFL, then of course there's going to be some questions. Of course there's going to be some whispers. Of course there's going to be some questions. Of course there's going to be some dissension, possibly. But no, no, I'm, I'm not going to be doing that after one week. And as I mentioned before in my podcast last week, Kyle Shanahan... John Lynch put way too much stock into their reputations to go ahead after three or four games, no matter how poorly Trey Lance plays, to go ahead and and, and, um, throw away or get rid of that experiment and and then put in Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback they didn't even want on their team and have him be the starting quarterback. So, no, for I'm not going to overreact on... You know, I'm not going to overreact on week one. I mean, I, I treat this week one, especially now, even though we have 17 regular season games, the fact that they only have three preseason games, I'm even taking the point that uh, for the first couple of weeks, two to three weeks, I'm treating this almost like a preseason game. Now, yes, I know it's a regular season, and I know these games count, but in terms of determining what's going to be happening, what's going to be going on, who's going to be doing what, which team is legit, which team is going to be 
disappointing, which team is going to overshoot its expectations, which teams are going to disappoint, which player is going to be the MVP, which player is going to have the best impact, which free agent acquisition, which trade acquisition from one team to another for a player is going to have the most impact. I'm, I'm not going that route. I'm not going down that road. I'm not driving down that avenue after week one or week two or week three. And you shouldn't either. I don't care about your fantasy teams. I don't care about your parlay bets. I don't care about your future picks. I'm just talking about the day-to-day minutia. And it's interesting because with only 17 games, that you would think that we would be more in tuned in terms of me making these proclamations about these teams week after week. Because it's easy in Major League Baseball once the season starts to just sit back and enjoy. Because there's 162 games. So when baseball starts for the first, I don't know, two or three weeks, enjoy. Enjoy. Don't panic. Don't worry. Enjoy. Because guess what? You still got 140-something more games to go. So enjoy the start of the NBA season. Enjoy. Because you got 82 games in the hockey season. Enjoy. Because you got 82. So who cares if a team after 5, 10, 15 games which are supposed to be playing for a championship is eight and seven or seven and nine or six and ten or don't worry if a team that's supposed to be finishing in the lottery starts off uh, seventeen and seven or you know fifteen and eight or something like that. Don't worry, this is the NBA. Don't worry, this is hockey, and don't worry, this is baseball marathon, not a sprint. So yes, who cares? Let that other relax and enjoy. You think with only 17 games in the NFL season that, yes, week one, we should be getting a little bit more heated. We should be getting a little bit more passionate. We should be getting a, a little bit more concerned, positive or negative in terms of what these teams do. But man, even though the NFL plays far fewer games than the other sports that I just mentioned, it is still a long, grueling season in which you can't make any any type of proclamations after week one. So those games that I just mentioned, you know, those matchups that I just mentioned, I'm not going over week one. I'm not. In its totality, I'm not. I'm not going to be speaking about the majority of the games. I'm just not. Because there's just not enough data, just not not enough intel. Do, do you want me to break down the 49ers Chicago Bears game and say, oh my goodness, Justin Fields, here we go, the Chicago Bears, woohoo! Oh my goodness, Trey Lance, he's a bust, he's a bum. Sal Shanahan has lost it. What's wrong with the San Francisco 49ers? This was a team that was supposed to win the Super Bowl or vie for the Super Bowl. Oh my goodness, what's happening? What's going on? Oh my, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I'm not doing that. Now, now people are going to be doing that when it comes to the teams that are more visible and have more attention than others, like the Dallas Cowboys. And when you take a look at some of the things that are happening to the Cowboys, i.e. that Prescott is going to be out for a little bit because of injury on the thumb, I'll get to that a little bit later, that yes, you can kind of read the tea leaves and say, uh-oh, even after week one, the Cowboys are in a little bit of trouble. But even even with that, even with the perceived lack of talent that the Cowboys showed last night on the offensive side of the football against the um Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Still not going there. Still not going to go there. Still not going to do it. Even after, and I'll get to this right now, the performance by the Buffalo Bills. Oh, my goodness. Did you see how they destroyed the Los Angeles Rams on the road, 31-10? to 10? Everybody's expecting 
the um, Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl and Josh Allen's supposed to be the MVP. Oh my goodness, here we go. Write them down. <laughs> Buffalo, they're favored to win the Super Bowl. They're the number one ranked team as far as the power rankings are concerned. Oh my goodness, no one's going to beat them. Do, 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 do. No. No, I'm not going to do that. I can't discuss, though. And, and I can't say after week one, the Bills look good. The Bills look really good. Thursday night football. I know everybody was excited about that to see the defending champions in terms of the Los Angeles Rams play the perceived champions for this upcoming season, the Buffalo Bills. But beat them up when you're speaking about Buffalo. Beat up Los Angeles and overwhelmed them by the fourth quarter, 31-10 situation where after three first-half turnovers and being tied 10 at halftime, the offense for the Bills scored with three straight touchdown drives, finished the game converting 9-10 on third down. Quarterback Josh Allen, the way that you know, had a great game, completed 30, 26 of 33 passes. That's 84% homes for almost 300 yards, 297, three touchdowns. Balanced offense for the Bills. When I, when I take a look, because... I still say for teams to win a Super Bowl or teams to be potent enough on offense to win a Super Bowl or be in an elite type of offense that can compete for Super Bowls, regardless of the quarterback that you have, don't care if it's Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Justin or Justin uh, Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or any of those quarterbacks, you have to have balance. Now, the definition for balance on a football team as far as the offense concerned, you know, concerning run and pass is sometimes not just 50-50. I mean, if you got Tom Brady and you're up there slinging the ball all over the field, yeah, you want to have him throw the ball maybe a little bit more than you're running the football on a consistent basis. Maybe if you have someone like a Patrick Mahomes, maybe if you have someone like an Aaron Rodgers, maybe if you have someone uh, like, uh, like, like uh, who I just mentioned, um, uh, David Carr possibly, that yes, you want to throw, sling the ball around a little bit more. But you can't get to the point where you're just way out of whack in terms of the amount of times you throw the football to the amount of times that you run the football, regardless of who is the quarterback. So when I take a look, and most of the time you can visibly see when teams do well, when teams put up a lot of points, and when teams win football games, yet the defense is there. But also, you have to take a look at in terms of the balance. And last night against the or a Thursday night excuse me I'll get to the Cowboys in 40 in uh I'll get to the Cowboys and Tampa Bay Buccaneers in just in this just a second but in the game on Thursday against the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams the Bills had a balanced offense had 413 total yards on 58 plays and 10 drives averaged seven yards per play but guess what they threw the ball 31 times and they ran the ball 25 times. Now, is that is that 50-50? No. But still, when, you, when you're speaking about the Buffalo Bills, and you're speaking about one of the question marks, I think, coming into the season for Buffalo, was the new acquisitions that they put on the offensive line and that running game, if they could up that a little bit, to really mix and blend in chemistry well with Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen and such. I think when you have that type of ratio in terms of passing and running, the Bills are going to be extremely successful. And you throw in the fact that the defense, whose front four was also revamped by this organization going into the season, having seven sacks, Vaughn Miller being the killer, having two of those sacks, 
in holding the Rams' offense to 243 yards. Come on now. And we're not talking about chopped leopard here. We're talking about the defending champions, which, when you, you know, put it into this season, is not going to mean that they're going to equate the dominance or the championship that they had last season. But still, they're one of the best teams in the NFL going into the season. Having the Rams become so one-dimensional when you speak about their balance on offense, with the Rams throwing the ball 41 times for only 240 yards and running it only 50, only uh, 18 times for 52 yards. I mean, come on now, that's something. Now for the Rams moving forward, hey, Dalen Ramsey said it best. Hey, we played like shit or we got our asses whooped, but that's, that's okay. We'll be all right. We'll be fine. There are some concerns, I think, not devastating. Who knows, man? You know, with the Rams, I mean, this is a situation. Number one, don't know if there's an OBJ or don't know if there's a Von Miller to be ahead later on in the season to to save them. But um, I'm, I'm looking at this squad. I'm looking at this offense. And I'm looking at a team right now that's really missing Robert Woods, who tore his ACL last season. And also Odell Beckham Jr., who tore his knee in the Super Bowl or tore his ACL in the Super Bowl. Man, outside of Cooper Cup, these are the wide receivers. Man, I tell you, they got to do something. They got to help out uh, Matthew Stafford. Stafford threw a couple of interceptions down the stretch turnover prones, but but you take a look at, at what happened in terms of, yeah, you have Cooper Cup, who caught 13 passes on 15 targets for 128 yards. Tyler Higby, the tight end, caught five passes for 39 yards on 11 targets, but after that, no other receiver for Los Angeles had more than 30 yards receiving. The longest play for one of the receivers on the pass and catch was 12 yards, and that was by Allen Robinson Jr., who caught only one pass. And people in the preseason and in camp we're speaking about how great Allen Robinson has been for the uh, Rams, the acquisition from the Chicago Bears, and how he was going to uh, be able to uh, play a big role in taking up and having some impact and taking up for the loss of uh, Robert Woods or Odell Beckham Jr. And the narrative was, wow, you know, Allen Robinson was a productive receiver when he played for the Chicago Bears, and you see that all the you saw that all the quarterbacks he played with, now he's going to be going to a structure where he's going to be playing with um, Matthew Stafford. He's going to be opposite of Cooper Cup. So, man, this guy's going to be able to really do some things. Well, I'm not saying that uh, his performance in the first game of the season is going to be a prelude to disappointment, Phil. But, uh, you know, it was a situation where we thought that Allen Robinson Jr. would have more of an impact starting the first game of the season. Let's see what he does moving forward. Uh, as the season rolls along. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, da, 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 bum, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> oh boy. Tampa Bay with a professional football victory, I would say, over the Dallas Cowboys, 19-3. to So let's go ahead and do this, y'all. Because, you know, with Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, let's go ahead and start the Dallas Cowboys season over after the first week along with chances of Mont McCarthy keeping his job after this season is over. Because, uh, damn, man, owner Jerry Jones, of course, in his media scrum after the game was over, was talking about Dak Prescott's going to be out several weeks due to an injury to his thumb and require surgery. Prescott went to the locker room late in the fourth quarter to get his right arm or right hand examined after he hit the hand of Buccaneers outside linebacker Shaq Barrett and did not return. Uh, before that, he was already dealing with something uh, before the game on uh, Sunday night. was limited in last uh, Thursday's practice because of a sore ankle. 
that he blamed on a new pair of cleats. Interesting. Normally, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Normally, I think that you wouldn't have sore ankles. Wouldn't you have sore feet if you were wearing shoes that were uh, that were maybe too tight or were screwing around with you? I don't know. But uh, against the uh, Buccaneers, Prescott was not good even before he was injured. He was 14-29, 134 yards, had one interception, possibly could have had two others intercepted. He just wasn't any good. Now, not all of his fault. The... the Situation at the wide receiver position for the Dallas Cowboys is dire. You have C.D. Lamb, and you basically don't have anybody else. Everybody speaks about Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper. Yeah, Amari Cooper could have helped, but Amari Cooper is not the elixir that's going to uh, be the solvent for what's happening with the Dallas Cowboys wide receiving position. I mean, that's just a bunch of guys who just aren't very talented. And you have C.D. Lamb, who's still growing as a wide receiver, who is not fully a number one wide receiver, is far miles, can't see him with a telescope, distance away from being an elite wide receiver. So you have a situation now where you have Dalton Schultz being your most reliable pass-catching weapon, and then that's about it. You equate that with the injury that have happened to the Cowboys offensive line and now Prescott going to be out for at least four weeks possibly four weeks and then you take a look at the backup quarterback situation now we start speaking about you know Mason Rudolph are they going to make a play for Mason Rudolph should they go ahead and try to make a play for Jimmy Garoppolo I, I don't know I don't know exactly what's in their stash in terms of uh what they can give to the 49ers for them to acquire Jimmy Garoppolo, but uh, that's why many people are saying, you know, Mason Rudolph looks more like a viable, realistic get than Jimmy Garoppolo with everything that the Cowboys might have to offer. But really, we're, we're, that's going to be the savior for the Cowboys. That's going to be the guy that's going to hold the ship afloat. Is Mason Rudolph until um, Dak Prescott gets back? After that performance against the Buccaneer, now yet. Tampa Bay has one of the best defenses in the league. Todd Bowles did an excellent job coordinating the defense. But you, you really think Mason Rudolph is going to be the guy? Let's just say, for instance, um, let's just say, for instance, that Prescott misses four games. So Mason Rudolph is going to be the guy that's going to get the Cowboys to be two and two or three and one somewhere around there. I, I, I don't think so. So the, the Cowboys. There, there, there's, there's some concerns, and it's interesting now. You know, with Prescott, got to remember now, he wasn't very good. And, and yes, offensive line, blah blah blah, uh, wide receivers, blah blah blah. Look, man, Dak Prescott signed a four-year, one hundred sixty million dollar contract in twenty twenty-one. Regardless of what's not around him, he's got to do better than this, man. He's got to do better than that. He's got to perform better than what he did against Tampa Bay on Sunday night. Now, he he knows that. But but those are the expectations, man. You know, when the fans boo you, okay, you know, like I mentioned before, if, if you were someone who didn't have the expectations of, you know what, yeah, we're not very good at the wide receiver position, but guess what? <clears throat> That's why we're playing, paying Dak Prescott $160 million. That's why we're paying him an average salary of around $40 million a year. So we don't need to get an all-star dream team type of wide receiving core. Because guess what? Dak Prescott can take care of that if he's going to be paid like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. 
So, hey, man, you know, all this nonsense was going down even before he got injured. 14 to 29 for 134 yards and one interception, and you're making an average of $40 million a year. That ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to get it done. That is not ex- that is not acceptable. He knows that. Prescott knows that. So, coming back, and he was speaking after the game in the uh, post-conference, speaking about, you know what, this adversity is something to where I can come back and come back stronger and this, that, and the other. That, that's fine. That's fine, but yeah, you're going to have to play better, much better, especially when, again, I don't know what help is on the horizon. Michael Gallup, I don't know when he's coming back. James Washington, I don't know when he's coming back. C.D. Lamb, I don't know when he's going to be getting other help. There's nothing in terms of the Calvary coming in to save the day for the Dallas Cowboys receiving core <clears throat> that they can make a move to. So, I mean, this is the squad that the uh, Cowboys are going to be playing with. So, you know, it's going to be, and, and, and for Mike McCarthy, I mean, he had a look on his face. <laughs> When he found out that he was leaving, as he was leaving the field after the game on Sunday night, he had a look on his face when he found the uh, when he found out the uh, situation with Dak Prescott. Like, man, you got to be fucking kidding me! Really, really? What what did I do in my other life to deserve this bullshit? Really? So, uh, you know, in a, in a year for Mike McCarthy, where I mean, he's already on the hot seat. I mean, this is already a situation where he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt. This is going to be a situation where every wrong move that he makes is going to be scrutinized and, 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 and brought to a level of unfairness. And his good calls or <clears throat> anything that he does is going to be mitigated because the narrative out there is that um, Mike McCarthy, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike McCarthy is on his last legs <clears throat> as the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Sean Payton's going to be in the wings. So if that's going to be the narrative, then of course you're going to be accentuating the mistakes that McCarthy makes, his in-game mistakes, his clock management, the Dallas Cowboys penalties, the lack of offense, and all these type of things. Yes, you're going to put a lot of the unwanted blame on Mike McCarthy and say, well, if John Payton was here, this would have happened, this wouldn't have happened, and this, that, and the other. And that the Cowboys lose, if they begin to lose and lose and lose, Cincinnati comes in next week at their next opponent. But, uh, you know, if the Cowboys start off the season 0-2, 0-3 and such, and really feel the impact of not having their quarterback with them. Of course, McCarthy's going to be getting the blame. Of course, McCarthy's not going to get the benefit that uh, other coaches who have had success, even who have won a Super Bowl. Mike McCarthy's won a Super Bowl. Of course, it was a while ago, but hey, he's still a Super Bowl champion. He's not going to get the benefit of the doubt that some of the other coaches have. So, I mean, you know, Bill Belichick is going to get roasted for, you know, not having an offensive coordinator or having an offensive coordinator by committee. And we saw how inept and incompetent the Patriots were on offense the first game in the 20-7 to loss against the Miami Dolphins. If he is open to scrutiny, what do you think is going to be happening to Mike McCarthy with Dallas Cowboys being America's team and all this kind of nonsense and all this kind of bullshit? So, you know, hey, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But for the, San Fran- for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, good professional effort like the way that the offensive coordinator who should be a head coach very soon unfortunately because of the color of the skin he might have to wait longer than usual because this is the nfl and we know about the hiring practices of minorities in the nfl as head coaches but offensive coordinator byron Leftwich, i think called a pretty good game really had uh, the emphasis to um be balanced on offense bring in tom brady even though brady is into his 23rd year even though Brady is 
the GOAT and ranked by the players as the best player in the game today and all the accolades and everything. This is a man who still is in his 23rd year, 45 years old, and missed a uh, significant amount of um, preseason practice dealing with personal situations. So I think this was a situation going into the first game and Brady still getting the rust off that he wasn't going to be asked to be the star of the offense. A blended, balanced offense for the Buccaneers was uh, was, was really good. Was uh, really good. <clears throat> 33 times, they ran the ball for 152 yards. Leonard Fournette gained over 100 yards. Brady threw it 27 times, 18 completions, 212 yards. Threw a bad interception, but as I mentioned before, I think with the time that he missed, that uh, Brady is going to play his way into optimum uh, efficiency and effectiveness. But the uh, the defense for the Buccaneers was great. Dallas went three of 15 on third downs. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott ran the ball only 10 times for 52 yards, but they made the um, <clears throat> they made the Cowboys one-dimensional. The Cowboys committed another 10 penalties for 73 yards. I don't know how many Travis Steele had, the lineman, but, man, he was like four or five of them right there. If he wasn't jumping offside, he was holding somebody. So, so I mean, you know, if I'm Mike McCarthy, it's like, well, shit, blame the offensive, blame the offensive line coach. You guys are going to bury me for that? Yeah, we had 10 penalties, but four or five of them came from one fucking player. So there you go. But, you know, you're the captain of the shit ball, so there you go. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, as I mentioned before, how's Tampa Bay going to do? How are they going to... um? How are they going to gel? What are the expectations now that the, a couple of linemen are down? Chris Godwin, I think, injured a hamstring against the uh, Cowboys last night, Sunday night. Um, Mike Evans is a hammy or a day-to-day, or he has an injury waiting to happen. So we'll see. We'll see. I think more than ever, I think that the Buccaneers are going to have to rely on that defense, which uh, looks pretty strong. Again, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So when you take a look at the storylines, let's take a look at the storylines because, again, it's only week one. Not going to get me getting too much into this, but uh, I think one of the top storylines heading into this season is it going to be the last season for Tom Brady. Playing in his 23rd season, 45 years old, last year threw for over 5,000 yards, led the league in pass attempts. Going to be interesting, man, because even Tom Brady, even a legend, even the guilt, even one of the greatest football players who's ever lived, a man who was redefining and restructuring the way that uh, we think of someone playing the game of football with the level of play that he has going into his 40s. Even someone like Tom Brady is going to hit that wall, man. And it seems like the older you get, when you hit that wall, you really hit it and you just stop. You know how we always speak about a boxer coming in and leaving the ring and he was never the same? A UFC fighter leaving the ring and he's never the same? When you, when you speak about a champion, for instance, in UFC, when he loses a fight and it's almost like, man, we thought this guy was going to go on for years and years and be dominant. We didn't know that one loss was going to send him spiraling down to where he never reached that level, level never got to that level. If you're speaking about Hannah Barrow, if you're speaking about B.J. Penn, if you're speaking about Leo the Machida, if you're speaking about Mauricio Shogun Hua, when you're speaking about all of these guys who we thought were going to be, you know, long-term champions, they lose, they, 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 they had success as champions, then they lose 
a fight, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman situation, and we expect these guys just to get right back on top of the perch, and they never do. And the fall is swift, and the fall is surprising, and the fall is tough. That's the same thing with football players, man. When you're speaking about someone of Tom Brady's age, this is not going to be a steady decline in terms of in, in terms of Tom Brady, you know, losing it and losing this and losing that, and you see the statistics and you see the effectiveness. It's not going to be like someone like a baseball player. It's not going to be something like a, uh, a, a basketball player. I mean, Tom Brady's going to hit the wall, and we're not going to see it coming. We're going to sit there and say, what the fuck happened? What happened is Father Time got himself another victory. Now, it took him a little bit longer to get that victory, but ultimately, he's going to get that victory, and it's going to come swift, and it's going to come very, very quickly. We saw that with Brett Favre, right? When he was playing in his 40s. We, we've seen that with a multitude of players. You know, A lot of times, it comes from a position to where it's a lot more physicality if you're speaking about a running back or a lineman or, or a situation like that. But uh, even as much as they protect the quarterback, which is one of the reasons why Brady can be so effective and play as long as he's had in this game. But um, when it comes, it's going to come and it's going to be surprising and it's going to be a situation where we haven't seen it. Is this going to be the year? Are we speaking about in another seven games? Or is it going to be this year? That's one of the storylines I think that we should be watching here for the 2022 NFL season. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Can Josh Allen... And the Buffalo Bills emerge at the best team in the AFC and officially put an end to the expected dynasty and dominance of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City football team. Re- remember only a few years ago? And look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that the run for Kansas City is over. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes isn't the best quarterback in the league or one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league. I'm not saying that. But if you go back a few years ago, right, when Mahomes led the uh, Kansas City football team to that uh, championship, to that Super Bowl victory over the San Francisco 49ers, what was the narrative, right? What was the what was the play that was being written? What was the book that was being read to us, right? That this was going to be a situation where, you know what? <clears throat> this is going to be a period of time where Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, they're going to dominate, This is the next dynasty right here. Why? Because the Kansas City football team has Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes was on his way, even so young in his career. Patrick Mahomes is already being talked about in terms of, is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? In the third or fourth year, you're bringing up that narrative? You're going to be disrespecting Tom Brady. You're going to be disrespecting Johnny Unitas. You're going to be disrespecting Otto Graham. You're going to be disrespecting Fran Tarkington. You're going to be disrespecting Peyton Manning. You're going to be disrespecting Joe Montana. You're going to be disrespecting all of those great football players, Brett Farr, John Elway, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino. You're going to be disrespecting these guys by saying that Patrick Mahomes, after three or four years in the NFL, belongs to that group or has a discussion being made about he should be in that group already? Come on now. Are you that bored? Are you that are, are, are you that uh, absent of ideas to talk about? Is that one of your hot takes? If pa- is Patrick Mahomes one of the greatest quarterbacks already after winning only one Super Bowl? <laughs> Come on.
come on, man, slow the fuck down. But that was the narrative. That's what people were talking about. And now we have it, what, two, two years later, three years later, somewhere around there? All of a sudden now Josh Allen is supposed to be the MVP? All of a sudden now the Buffalo Bills are supposed to be the team that's supposed to be winning Super Bowls? Wow. Man. Now look, no one is calling Patrick Mahomes a bum. <laughs> you know, let's just, I'm, I'm not, we're not going to, we're not going a complete 180 here and Patrick Mahomes goes from being regarded as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time to being a, a huge disappointment. I'm, I'm not saying that. But man, if you're supposed to be, if you are already talking about Patrick Mahomes being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time only a couple of years ago, then in two years, he's already going to be playing second fiddle to Josh Allen. Does that make Josh Allen now one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? If the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen, if they win the Super Bowl and Josh Allen wins the MVP, should we start having that discussion when there's nothing to talk about for sports talk in July and June and, and those type of things when we start speaking about the NFL? Preseason camp for next season, if the Bills win the Super Bowl and Allen wins the MVP for the 2023 season in, in August, should we start saying, hey, Josh Allen, if the Bills win another Super Bowl, is Josh Allen, should he be considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? Man, you laugh, but I'm serious. Go back, check the tape. The Shannon the Skip show, the Mike Greenberg show, the Screamer Day Smith show, they were all talking about that nonsense. NFL Live, they, all, they were all speaking that bullshit. The Nick Wright show, they were all talking that nonsense. You know, it's always the, is Patrick Mahomes the greatest quarterback of all time? Well, it's ridiculous to say so, but let's discuss it. Like, well, if it's ridiculous to say so, why are we discussing it? <laughs> Lord have mercy. But, um, yeah, my, my basic point is, if the Bills win the Super Bowl this year, Josh Allen plays great. What does that mean for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City football team? Look, Patrick Mahomes is still regarded as one of the best football players. Patrick Mahomes is still regarded as a great quarterback, no doubt about it. But it's just interesting then what the narrative is going to be. Because as we all know, that when we speak about these things, when we discuss and debate and opinionate on these things, we're always looking for new angles. We're always looking for hotter takes. We're always looking for something that will give us more clicks. So to sit there and say for year after year, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback and he's great in this, that, and the other, and Kansas City, this, that, and the other, well, that's kind of boring. We kind of already know that. Give us something that we can chew on. Give us something that we can taste. Give us something that won't get us chopped. Give us something that's going to make us win diners, drive-ins, and dives, or Triple G. Give us something that's going to, uh, you know, satisfy the appetite of the sports talk listener. Ah, I got something. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Ah, I got it. Or, hmm, try this offer size. After two years, three years, Patrick Mahomes already on his way to becoming the greatest quarterback of all time. Hmm, think about it. So that, that's the narrative, man. We, we always look for something fresh. We always look for something, we always look for something new. And our attention span and holding our attention span is not very long. So even with this narrative, because it's going to be a situation where either the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl and Josh Allen's going to become one of the elite, well, he's already one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's going to take another step to be regarded as one of the best quarterbacks and on his way to being one of the best quarterbacks who's ever played, blah, 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 let's discuss. Either that's going to be the narrative, or if the Bills lose, even if they lose the Super Bowl, I guarantee you there's going to be some knucklehead 
who's going to be on television, who makes seven figures, who has millions of followers on Twitter, who has his own TV show on television, is going to be sitting up there talking about the Buffalo Bills losing in the Super Bowl. That means the season for Buffalo is going to be a disappointment. And what's going to be happening now with Josh Smith? Not only Josh Smith, Josh Allen. Josh Smith is probably somewhere still collecting NBA checks. Josh Allen. Oh, I fucked up my um, emotional pause. Josh Smith. It's Allen, you stupid bitch. Josh Allen. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just taking a look at some of the storylines that uh, are going to be for the NFL because week one is just way too early for me to be getting into the minutia of what happened in the uh, Atlanta-New Orleans game in the third quarter on third down and 10. Should Arthur Smith for the Falcons, should he have called a, a different type of player, play? And what does it mean now for the Atlanta Falcons? What does it mean for the Indianapolis Colts? What does it mean for the Jacksonville Jaguars? What does it mean for the San Francisco 49ers? What does it mean for all of these teams losing the first game of the season? What should we make of it? How should we deduce this? What's going to be the opinion? What's going to be the narrative? What's going to be the direction? Not going there. Not doing it. <laughs> How well, though, will Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, play with, without a new contract? Much of a distraction will it be? How much will of a distraction is it going to be for him in the team if they start the season not playing up to expectations? Now, they beat the Jets on uh, Sunday 24-9. to um, Jackson, without playing without his left tackle and his starting running backs, did well. 17-30, 213 yards, three touchdowns. Best performance from a quarterback from anyone in the AFC North division. If you take a look at Mitchell Trubisky and Joe Burrow and uh, who else is in there? Let me see. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, Joe Burrow, Cleveland. Oh, and uh, yeah, and um, and uh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's uh, replacement. So uh, there are reports that uh, Lamar turned down a five-year, two hundred fifty million dollar contract, one hundred thirty-three million of that guaranteed. The extension, which ran through the 2027 season, would have increased the total value of Jackson's deal to just under $274 million over six years. That, according to sources, Jackson would have played out the $23 million fifth-year option on his rookie deal before the extension started in 2023. Look, man, you know what? I don't. I really don't get into this nonsense in terms of what does it mean. I don't deal with money. It's his money. It ain't my money. Whatever. Now, now, if it means something, a situation where he could be moving on to another team or somehow, some way, it's going to affect his play on the field. Okay, that can be a talking point in terms of money. But when it comes to someone's money, when it comes to talking about someone's money, when it comes to someone making the decision about money, that's none of my fucking business. Hey, and guess what? It's none of yours either. Because Lamar Jackson ain't paying my bills. Lamar Jackson, no matter how much money Lamar Jackson's going to get, I ain't going to be getting a dime. You ain't going to be getting a penny. You ain't going to be getting a dollar. So unless, again, it affects the way he plays or the chances of him staying with the football team, why do y'all give a fuck? <laughs> I mean, why are y'all talking about I can't believe he turned down that contract? I would have turned down that contract. Don't worry about it. Guess what? No one's going to be offering you $150, $133 million of guaranteed money. I can guarantee you that. 
to as many people who are listening to my podcast, nobody in the next couple of weeks, next couple of years, next couple of decades, next couple of centuries, next couple of generations is going to be offering you $133 million guaranteed on a contract that could be worth up to $250 million. If they are, give me a call. We need to talk and I can be your best friend. So why are we, why am I, why are you getting so bent out of shape about it? Again, if it's going to affect the play, all right. But so far, it hasn't been that way. If it's going to affect the situation of, is he going to be staying long-term with the team? We don't know about that yet. So I'm not worried about this Lamar Jackson contract. I'm not. If he wants to play for $50 or $50 million or $100 million or $500 million, it doesn't bother me. I'm not even a Baltimore Ravens fan. I'm a Washington Commanders fan. Why do I care about how much money Lamar Jackson's getting? I ain't getting any of it. It's just going to be interesting, though, to see how this is going to be able. Is this going to be a negative? Because we know in the NFL circles, we know one thing that people always say, right? We hate distractions. We hate distractions. We hate distractions. Anything that's a negative distraction, anything that takes away from our preparation and our ability to be totally prepared to win a football game is something that we hate. It's like rat poison, right? So possibly, maybe we can see some signs, some cracks, some situations to where the contract and not getting a contract is affecting Lamar Jackson. Until that happens, I ain't discussing it. I don't even think it's a big deal. Because you know what's going to be happening, right? If Lamar has two bad games, all of a sudden it's going to be, well, is this going to be a situation with the contract? Is the contract one of the reasons why he's playing bad? No, Maybe it's just because he's had two bad games, depending upon the team that they're playing, depending upon the conditions, depending upon a lot of things. Who knows? I don't know what's going on in this man's personal life. Maybe he's dealing with baby mama trouble. Maybe he's dealing with girlfriend trouble. Maybe he's dealing with family trouble. Maybe he's dealing with something else that's not related to the contract. Lamar Jackson is going to get generational wealth. Whether he signs this contract today, tomorrow, at the end of the season with another team. If if you're worried about the financial stability and situation, long-term, short-term, of Lamar Jackson, don't worry about it. Lamar's going to get paid no matter what happens. So this situation about, you know, if he has a couple of bad games, and oh my goodness gracious, what's going to be happening with Lamar Jackson? Is this contract seeping in and blah, blah, blah? Unless he says so then I'm going to say no and just move on and, you know, go ahead and speak about something else. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, Speaking about some of the storylines for the NFL season, which high-profile acquisition is going to have the biggest impact for their new team, Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos play tonight. I'm recording this on our early Monday morning. Tyreek Hill for the Miami Dolphins caught eight passes, 94 yards, and... Miami's 20-7 win over New England. Devontae Adams of the Las Vegas Raiders was targeted 19 times by his old Fresno State teammate, Derek Carr. Targeted 19 times, had 10 catches, 441 receiving yards, and the Raiders lost to the Los Angeles Chargers. Good Lord, man, Justin Herbert is good. A.J. Brown with the Philadelphia Eagles, 10 catches for 155 yards. Against Detroit, Khalil Mack made his impact with the Los Angeles Chargers, as I mentioned before. It's going to be a lot of good stuff. Who's going to be the greatest challenge to the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC? If you think about it, you know, we, we, we spoke about the uh, Buccaneers. The offensive line has suffered some impactful injuries. Talking about Tom Brady's age. Green Bay lost one of the best receivers in the game. Someone that they relied on heavily to 
defense for Green Bay is going to be solid, but what about the offense? We saw them really not perform well against Minnesota uh, on Sunday. New Orleans had the defense that could challenge. Do they have the offense and the quarterback with Jameis Winston, who had a really good game against the Atlanta Falcons, albeit against the Atlanta Falcons. Michael Thomas came in and made some plays. The Saints coming back to win that football game. The San Francisco, the 49ers, and the Philadelphia Eagles, do they have the right quarterbacks in place to be serious contenders for the conference championship when you're speaking about Trey Lance and Jalen Hurts? So those are the things. They have the running game, when you're speaking about the Eagles. They have the defense. They have a situation where they're in a division that they should win, and just speaking about what's going on in Dallas and the lack of talent with the Giants, even though they won in Tennessee yesterday. And my commanders, the Eagles, should be clear favorites to win that division. But until they play the games, we don't know. And again, with Jalen Hurts, is he a guy that can be a serious threat at the quarterback to have a team, to elevate a team to win a championship? All of those things we will find out. But it's early in the season. Week one of the NFL. Look, if you ain't gambling, if you don't have any parlays or anything like that, sit back, relax, man. Enjoy. If you got the dish, enjoy the package. If you got the red zone like I do, enjoy. Sit back for eight, nine hours of commercial-free football. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. The NFL is, is just starting. Worse, uh, uh, you know, um, don't rush it. You know what I'm talking about? Because this season is going to be over faster than you expect. So take your time. Baby, take your time. Do it right. We can do it, baby. Do it tonight. Watch the games. Enjoy the week. Cherish the weekends, man. And cherish the Sundays. And as for right now, even, you know, diehard football squads and teams that you love, hey, man, it's only one week. We're, we, we haven't even written the first chapter yet, man. We're still on the prelude. We're still on the acknowledgments of this book that's going to be written for all of these teams in the NFL. Sit back. Relax. The NFL is here. The season just started. Enjoy, my man. Enjoy, my lady. Enjoy. See the teaser. Nothing but a teaser. teaser. Nothing but a teaser Greatest of them all. The absolute greatest of them all. The legend. The hero. My musical icon. My musical idol. The guy to win, I don't know, maybe in, I don't know, 20, 25 years if I'm lucky. The Lord, how, how, how long the Lord wants me to stay here. If I'm lucky enough, if there isn't heaven, and I get past the pearly gates, after I go ahead and meet my grandparents and 
get re- reunited with my family and all those good things. And hey, what's been going on in heaven for the last, I don't know, my dad's been gone now for about five years. So what's been going on up here in heaven for the last 30 years? What's been happening? Huh? Anything crazy? Anything crazy? Anything nutty? The first thing, one of the first thing I want to do after I get acclimated and reunited with my with my family and such, and my uncles and my aunts and all those good things, my cousins and all that type of stuff, some of my friends, um, my man Stuart Levy, Hayden Witter, all of those guys, all my friends that have left us and now are in heaven. One of the things after I get through with that, and don't worry, I'll be there for eternity, so I'll, I'll have plenty of time, is I'm going to go up to one of the angels and say, all right, break it down. What really happened with John F. Kennedy? Who really shot that motherfucker? <laughs> all right, did James O'Ray really shoot King? Come on, man. Tell me some of this stuff. Who killed John Bonet Ramsey? What's going to be happening? Who who really was Jack the Ripper? Is there going to be a TV program up in heaven? You know, down here on Earth, where they had unsolved mysteries, cold case files, all of the things that I just really enjoy. Is there going to be a program up in heaven called Solved Mysteries? This is what really happened with Robert Stack. I mean, he's up there. Bill Curtis, he'll be up there. Where they'll be putting on programs saying this really is what happened to John Kennedy. Or are we going to have John Kennedy up there talking about, yeah, I slept with Marilyn Monroe. And damn, yeah, the reason why I got the presidency is because of my dad and my uh, and the mob. Oh, by the way, you were asking where my dad is? Uh, he ain't up here. Oops. So all of these things, I can't wait to hear that concert of Otis Redding, of James Brown. James Brown, I don't know if he's going to be up in heaven also. But I know I can't wait to hear that concert with Otis Redding with Donnie Hathaway with Curtis Mayfield with Aretha Franklin with the Four Tops with uh you know I, I can't wait man I can't wait could you imagine that I can go listen to some Beethoven I can go listen to some Chopin I can go listen to some uh some classical music by the greatest I can go ahead then and listen to maybe some Gangstar I can maybe listen to some Guru I can listen to some uh, Heavy D I can listen to some of that stuff up there I can listen to some Biggie then I can go ahead and listen to some Otis Redding I can listen to some Donnie Hathaway I can listen to some Four Tops I can listen to uh, that good stuff I can listen to some John Coltrane I can listen to some Miles Davis man heaven is going to be awesome <laughs> Man, I can't wait. No, I want to let me let me let me stop. Wendell's world. Well, I can't wait to get up there. Give, give me, Lord, Lord, just give me another twenty years. Give me another. If, if you give me twenty years, if, if I can reach my seventies, hey man, I'll take it. After that, you know, I want to live as I want to live as long as you let me, as you allow me to live. If you say now, nah, Wendell, you got about another couple of days to live, then I got to take you home. I understand, but I'm kind of asking. If you can kind of put it in your plans to um, squeeze another 15, 20, 25 years out of me, I would appreciate it. So <laughs> there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, before I get to college football and talk about Alabama's nonsense and Scott Frost being fired and all that kind of stuff, I just want to, um, well, I saw the UFC 279 um, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, Nate Diaz submitting Tony Ferguson, 252 with the fourth round in the UFC 279 main event. Ferguson looked for a takedown. Diaz quickly put a guillotine on his ass and squeezed him until For- Ferguson was forced to tap. Ferguson came out from the opening moments with a heavy leg kick attack. One of the first kicking through in the fight led to the shin to collide with Diaz's, immediately opening up a cut on Ferguson's shin that would continue to bleed for the rest of the night. 
bleed like a bleed like a river, Biatches. Those kicks continued to land throughout the fight, leading Diaz's uh, lead leg to bruise as well. Looked like there was like an apple, like put on his shin. It was pretty disgusting. And so here was the nonsense. So so Ferguson is still kicking this guy. Diaz doesn't like it, and then he just starts walking around the octagon. It's like, did he quit? Herb Dean is looking like, are you quitting? Tony Ferguson is looking at Herb Dean like, did he quit? Everyone's like, what the, What are you doing? Diaz, smart as, a, smart as a Diaz, buying himself some time, right? I mean, all that bullshit, all those things that he's doing on the ring and all that kind of stuff. Or the octagon, buying some time. Because Tony Ferguson, he was just walking around. He would get kicked in the leg and or the shit, and he would just kind of walk away and walk around and look at the crowd and gesture and do all this stuff. And the referee and Ferguson is looking at are looking at each other like, "What the hell is going on here?" It's it's the rope dope, if you might want to say that. It's, it's Nate Nate Diaz version of the rope dope. Buy some time, kind of get that out, and you know, I mean, if Ferguson wasn't so differential and so worshiping of you know. Nate Diaz, he would have gone after his ass. If that would have been Conor McGregor, he wouldn't have been looking at Herb Dean talking about what's going on. He would have charged like a raging bull. So, you know, hey. So, But, you know, as I mentioned before, good for uh, Diaz to, uh, you know, a thinking man's fighter and, and a very intelligent uh, fire, uh, a fighter. So after taking heavy damage, Diaz continues trying to stalk Ferguson, throw combinations and hard left hands. Ferguson, you know, as I mentioned before, didn't do anything, was cut open easily. Um, Diaz just let his hands go and basically just uh, wore him down. So the main, main event of that fight, Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson, I think it would have been a lot better if they would have fought in 2015, 2016. I mean, name value and everything, El Julio, who used to be one of my favorite fighters, Ferguson. I mean, I look, he needs to retire, man. He's, lo- he's now lost five fights in a row. And look, I, I shouldn't say he needs to. I don't know the man. And I definitely am not in a position to be giving him uh, career advice. But, uh, man, I just remember him from back in the day, man, where this guy was just an absolute beast and an absolute just mm, something else. A Hall of Famer, Tony Ferguson, who never really got the opportunity to uh, make the money or write the, write the, write the uh, book on how great he could be and the legend that he could be. He never fought McGregor. He had the interim title, but he never fought for the title itself. And uh, it's a shame because back in the day, Tony Ferguson was one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world in mixed martial arts. But unfortunately, that is not the case. So as I mentioned before, it was a lackluster... I mean, it was Nate Diaz, so you had the star, you had the star stature there. So... It didn't have to live up to anything great, just as long as Diaz did a thing, which he did. Gestures and personality and all of that thrown in there. It was just two guys, way past their prime, former shells of themselves, uh, putting on a putting on a show. Which, as I mentioned before, was okay. Anybody else? That's not main event material. But because it's Nate Diaz, his last uh, go go uh, with the UFC, it was a, a situation. Now. What happened was, when you're taking a look at Ferguson and Diaz, both were supposed to be served at dinner or dessert, maybe dinner and dessert, for two fighters who were supposed to get a bump and acknowledgement and prestige in beating up a dominating name that the non-MMA crowd is familiar with. What happened was, look, Diaz is 37 years old, right? 
He's lost three of his last four fights, one single victory since 2016. Tony Ferguson, 38, is even worse. This was Ferguson's fifth loss and the third time he had been finished in, a, in that stretch. So the UFC was it was in a situation where, especially with Diaz, was like, look, this guy in the last year of the last fight of his contract, we're, we're going to send him out beaten, bloody, bruised, broken, and basically the last thing you're going to think about when you see Nate Diaz in the octagon is him getting his ass whooped because the man that was supposed to be he was supposed to be fight, fighting um oh my goodness in the name I forgot uh Kosmat Shayev excuse me yeah I got to remember that name this guy was supposed to put the beat down and the ass whooping on Nate Diaz and believe me he would have he would have this guy's available, man. This, this guy is pretty tough. This guy is pretty rough. This guy is, uh, but, but unfortunately, he came in 10 pounds overweight, played the heel role afterwards, was shouting and screaming and all this kind of nonsense. And uh, I thought Rogan did an excellent job to try to get him to say exactly why is it that you missed weight? What was the situation after uh, Shayev was yelling and screaming and cursing and doing his uh, MJF impersonation, his, his Roddy Roddy Piper impersonation um finally said look the doctor told me to stop cutting weight so i stopped weight stopped cutting weight and rogan asked him if you could have gotten down to 170 could you have and gif and yelling and screaming and all that nonsense says yes he could so we got to the bottom of that but uh you know he's talking about i want to take over middleweight i want to take over the welterweight division my deal would be hey man get your ass up to 185 185 and fight paulo costa and then israel alasanya because that that is just, just bullshit and just talking alone, the uh, that that fight is worth putting together. But uh, yeah, Nate Diaz is uh, <clears throat> is moving on. I don't, I don't know how a guy who's seventeen eleven in the UFC, as far as the record is concerned, is considered a legend. <clears throat> Rogan keeps kept tell, telling you know keep talking about he's a legend and all these type of things. I'm like, really? Based on what? <laughs> I mean, he never won a championship. I don't think he ever fought for a championship. I don't know what you're talking about. How is Diaz a legend? I mean, he's a great personality. He's great for the sport. You know, he he makes money for the company, which in turn, he makes a lot of money. I mean, I think he's done great. I think that he's a role model. I think that uh, his story is awesome. I wish people would tell it more in its totality. Because the Diaz brothers will tell you about how hard it was in Stockton growing up and they didn't have this and times are hard and life is hard and every day is a struggle and all those type of things. Yeah, all that might have been true. But man, in Stockton, those guys are doing great work. Uh, the Diaz brothers have opened a uh, jiu-jitsu uh, place. Um, you know, Nate is a father. Um, you know, I mean, he, he turned his life around in terms of, you know, he should be financially, both Diaz brothers should be financially set. And the fact that they didn't move to Los Angeles, they didn't move to Miami, that they're still in Stockton and willing to help the community, man, that that's awesome. That's what a true role model is all about. So I, I wish somebody, the Diaz brothers, someone close to the Diaz brothers, would, would tell that story about how you have two brothers who came from nothing, who came from strife and struggle, Everyday hard knocks, everyday hard living, they beat the odds. They beat the odds and then some. Because in that environment, beating the odds means, hey man, you know what? You go ahead and you get yourself a job, you stay out of trouble and you provide for your family and you become good to the community. They have superseded that tenfold 
in terms of what they've done. They've become international superstars in their sport. I mean, hopefully they've earned money to where they have generational wealth. And instead of, you know, bullshitting, they've kept it real by staying in the same place where their roots are and are trying to help out the community. What more, more, what more role modelish is that? I think that's beyond admirable. So, I mean, again, I know that the Diaz brothers love to sit there and tell the, 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 the hard knock story, the hard, the hard life story, which might be true. And that needs to be part of the narrative of that story. But also, you know, for those in Stockton, those who are suffering in communities all over the country, all over the world, I mean, have those guys be the inspiration to say, hey, man, if those guys can go ahead and get out of the situation that they're in and become what they are right now, why can't I? And it doesn't mean being super duper rich. It doesn't mean becoming millionaires. It doesn't mean earning six figures. It doesn't mean being the best sportsman or the best rapper or the best singer or the best dancer that you could be. Hell, if I could use the Diaz story to get out of the situation I am, go to college and become something where I could be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year and be able to provide for my family and not go back to that life and to grow and mature and want to help out others and educate others on how they can get out of that situation. I don't need to be a UFC champion. I don't need to be an NBA superstar. I don't need to be an NFL star. I don't need to be a major league baseball player. I don't need to go platinum or gold on my albums or on my records. Do we need, do they even sell albums anymore? I'm sorry. But you know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, the Diaz brothers, their story needs to be told even more. But, uh, you know, Nate's talking about he wants to, um, what was that quote that Nate, what was that quote that Nate had? Let me see here. He said that, uh, he wanted, he wants to take over another sport. He said Conor McGregor didn't know how to do it. None of these other MMF, MMA fighters, know how to do it. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take over another profession and become the best at that. And then I'm going to come right the fuck back here and get another motherfucking title, UFC title. You didn't get a, you didn't get the first UFC title. What are you talking about? You didn't even get the bad motherfucker title. You lost that to a Jorge Mavidal. I have no idea what he's talking about. I really don't. I mean, he's very interested in boxing Jake Paul. The two have repeatedly called each other out on social media, but because of Diaz's contract with the UFC, it always prevented them from uh, fighting and making a boatload of money. I, I don't know how fighting Jake Paul for Nate Diaz is going to take over the sport or take over the sport. I mean, he's going to show Conor McGregor didn't know how to do it. He's going to show other MMA fighters how to do it. No, Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor, Nate, showed you how to do it. Because that farce between an MMA fighter, McGregor, and a professional boxer, Floyd Mayweather, that's already been done. And the fight between you and Jake Paul, that won't generate the same amount of interest or the financial windfall that McGregor and Mayweather did. I mean, those guys cleared over $100 million. You and Jake Paul ain't going to come close to that. Those guys had, what, $4 million pay-per-view buys to see that bullshit, to see that nonsense, to see that farce, the con of people and to buy that nonsense. You ain't getting close to that. Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul ain't going to generate a million pay-per-view buys. Shit, it probably won't even generate 250000 So, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about, but uh, there you go. But uh, really interesting night in, in the UFC on Saturday. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us really quickly. College football. Biggest news coming from this weekend's games. Well, I'll get to the weekend's games. The second Nebraska fired Scott Frost, fired the uh, coach 
on Sunday after a 45-42 home loss to Georgia Southern, in which they paid Georgia Southern over a million five to uh, go up there and uh, beat Nebraska at home. Nebraska had been a three-touchdown favorite. Statement from Vice Chancellor for Athletics, Trev Alberts, quote, earlier today, I met with Coach Frost and informed him that we were making a change in the leadership of our football program effective immediately. God has poured his heart and soul into the Nebraska football program, both as a quarterback and head coach. And I appreciate his work and dedication. Now, he needs to pack his things and get to stepping because I don't know where you're going, but you can't stay here. That last part, I ad-libbed. Um, associate head coach Mickey Joseph will take over for the Nebraska football team for the rest of the season. Frost will receive his full $15 million buyout. The buyout amount would have dropped to $7.5 million on October 1st. So that meant the big bunny donors were like, look, man, just get him the fuck out of here. <laughs> he just go, 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 go. And I'm not talking about music from Washington, D.C. Go, go, go. I'm just get him the fuck out of here. So um, <clears throat> it was supposed to be a situation. A match made it happen, man. This was supposed to be the guy, when you're speaking about Scott Frost, that was going to resurrect the Nebraska football program after Mike Riley had it just kind of middling. Scott Frost at UFC, University of uh, Central Florida, 13-0, calling themselves the uncrowned national champions. He was in demand for a lot of places, but, you know, came back to uh, Nebraska, and he was supposed to turn things around, maybe get his connection from Florida in terms of recruiting is concerned, to bring some of those players from those areas to Nebraska. Didn't happen. Four-plus years as a coach, Frost was 16-31 and 31 overall. Never had a winning season at Nebraska. They were 5-22 and 22 in one-score games since Frost was hired. No other SBF, uh, FBS team had more than 16 one-score losses in that span. He had 22. Last season, they went 3-9. and nine. All of those games were one-score games. So it was a situation where, well, we're so close that possibly... No. Then they go out and lose to Northwestern. And then, as I mentioned before, losing to Georgia Southern. I thought that the Oklahoma game would have um, kind of um, been his Waterloo in terms of if he would have kept his job or not. But no, after Georgia Southern, now we got you got to go. You got to go. So Scott Frost, at least he's getting $15 million, so he'll be all right. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Okay, so there's new changes here in the rankings when you're speaking about College football, Georgia is the new number one ranked team in the country. Started the season number three, but looked dominant against Oregon on a neutral field. Then beat Sanford 33 to nothing. They beat Sanford and his son, you big dummy. Um, they started the season winning by a combined score of 82 to three. Yeah, I'll put, uh, I think this was a situation where why they first moved to from number three to number two. And then number two, eventually to the number one spot, because look, if you take a look at Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, each one had a team of consequence, and each one had a team where basically it's just a uh, pickup preseason game just to uh, work out the kinks. And if you take a look at the performances that Georgia had against Oregon, <clears throat> Ohio State's performance against Notre Dame, and then Alabama's performance against Texas. Out of all of those, uh, Georgia had the most impressive performance against Oregon, more so than Alabama against Texas, 
and more so than Ohio State against Notre Dame. Now, you know, I believe that Ohio State played Arkansas State this past week, and as I mentioned before, Georgia played Samford, so those really don't count. And the week before that, Alabama played Utah State. So those those three really don't really count in terms of determining you know, who should be ranked number one, two, and three. Alabama dropped from number one to number two. They look far from it against Texas. Far from it. They survived 20-19 to 19 on a game-winning 32-yard field goal with 10 seconds remaining. The only reason why they won that game because A, Quinn Hewers got injured and Bryce Young was <clears throat> fantastic when he needed to be. Finished the game, <clears throat> speaking of Young, finished the game 27-39 to 39 for 214 yards, had the had a touchdown, had the plays to be made to set up for the game-winning touchdown, the 20-yard run. Texas had him dead to right. Young ducked under. Texas didn't make the play. Bryce Young and Alabama did. Alabama wins. I don't, I don't want to hear Steve Starkeesian's bullshit about, we didn't lose, we just ran out of time. I'm sorry, I didn't know we have wins, we have losses, we have ties, right? I mean, isn't that how you judged, right? Wins. Losses and ties. I've never seen wins, losses, ties ran out of times. I've I've never seen a team go eight two zero and eight, like, like 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 six two zero and three, six wins, two losses, no ties, four ran out of times. Those are usually losses. So no, Steve, you did lose because as I mentioned before, there's no such thing as. We ran out of time. No participation trophies. No orange slices. You lost. So it's like, I mean, that's that, 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 that was a good one. That was a good one. Texas lost. You gave Alabama a good shot. Congratulations. You lost. You lost. Uh, you would have won the game if Quinn Ewers who was playing great. If he didn't get early, injured early in the game, you wouldn't have won. But guess what? He got injured. Uh, the backup quarterback then got injured and was less than 100%. Hey, man, too bad, too sad. You lost. So there's no asterisk, none of that nonsense. Either you win or you lose. Texas, you lost. You didn't run out of time. Um, you know, glass half empty performance, I guess you could say, for Alabama. 15 penalties, most ever for an Alabama team coached by Saban. Penalties led to Texas having three uh, free first downs or canceled their own, Alabama's own first downs on multiple times. Will Anderson projected by many to be the number one player drafted in the NFL, All-American Defender Player of the Year, Heisman Trophy um, candidate or participant in New York from the defensive side of the football, all prognosticated going into the season, had three offside penalties in the first half and committed a late hit penalty in the second half. Alabama struggled to move the football. Um, you know, the running game was, really wasn't that good. Jameer Gibbs Started the game at running back, ran the ball nine times for 22 yards, but missed a blitz pickup that got him benched for most of the game. Uh, the wide receivers, Jermaine Burton, Trayshawn Holden, and Kobe Prentice caught a combined 10 passes for 76 yards. I, I think this is a situation with Alabama where we just go ahead and assume because it's Nick Saban, because of Al- it's Alabama, because of the um, history, recent history that they have of you know, when they rebuild, they reload, and they bring in all of these historically great classes, recruiting classes, that when you lose such offensive talent and you lose such playmakers as a Jaden Waddle or a Najee Harris 
or a Brian Robinson Jr. or a Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, Devonta Smith, that all of a sudden it's like, well, that's okay. Because those guys replaced somebody also that were first-round draft picks. So the, 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 the beat will just go on. And the beat goes on. Just like my love everlasting. It's just a situation where we'll just continue and these guys that we're going to be plugging in will be just as good or better than the ones that have lost or that we've lost. That's one of the reasons why Alabama and these teams like that are ranked so highly. It's because, well, you've seen the recruiting rankings that Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and such, they bring in these top two or three classes, especially Alabama, who really separate themselves except for maybe a year of Texas A&M or maybe a year of Georgia to where you know Alabama really is number one in the recruiting classes with a bullet bringing in all-time great recruiting classes, even though they were superseded by Texas A&M this past recruiting uh, trial. That, you know, because of that, we're just going to go and assume that the guy who was sitting behind Najee Harris or Brian Robinson Jr. or these plethora of great wide receivers who maybe caught 11, 15, 18 passes for the entire year. Now, since they'll be able to become the starters, that they'll just pick right off and have the same type of impact that that their predecessors had. And, you know, sometimes that's not the case. Case. A A lot of the time it is. If you take a look at the success of Alabama, but um, a lot of times also, or a few times, it's not the case. Now, I, I'm not, after one game against Texas, I'm not going to sit there and say that, oh yeah, it's the case now that they don't have the talent. They have, or they don't have the, you know, they're, they're, they're in trouble. I'm not going to do that, but, um, you know, it's a situation where uh, Alabama needs to really start getting the shit together. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I'm gonna end with um, I'm gonna end with uh, Marshall beating Notre Dame. Now I'm starting to get a little nervous, starting to get concerned a little bit about Marcus Freeman. I know first Notre Dame coach to start 0 three after losing to Marshall this past weekend, dropped 0 two this season, 26 21 loss to the unranked Marshall Thundering Herd at Notre Dame Stadium. Look, the first, this is really, I guess you could say, this is the first loss that's unacceptable and indiscusable. Losing to Oklahoma State 37-35 in the Fiesta Bowl after Brian Kelly left to take the LSU job despite losing a lead to the Cowboys. Understood. Losing to Ohio State on the road, first game of the season this year. Understood. This is the first game where there was no reason for Notre Dame not to win and win easily. Um, you know, from Adam Silverstein of CBS Sports for Marshall, this is the first win over a top 10 ranked opponent since 2003 when they defeated Kansas State. And from the Athletics, Matt, uh, Matt Brown, Notre Dame entered Saturday with a 42 game win streak against unranked teams. And Notre Dame is 0 2 for the first time since 2011 when they finished 8 5 in Brian Kelly's second season. Look, man, um, Notre Dame is doing great. In the recruiting, fantastic. They better hurry up and get here very quickly because, at least as I mentioned this before, on in in my in my analysis and opinions about the offensive talent that Notre Dame has when they played Ohio State, more than ever, <clears throat> more than ever, <clears throat> it's showing, man, that they just don't have the talent across the board. And some of the talent they do have is really lacking experience. 
They managed only 10 points and 253 yards against Ohio State. And then against Marshall, a team that should have beaten and beaten easily, they scored 21 points with 351 yards of total offense. And seven of those points came with 15 seconds left when Marshall was basically just letting them score to run out the clock. Tyler Buckner, the quarterback for the Irish, threw for 201 yards against Marshall, but both of his touchdowns came on the ground. He threw two interceptions, has yet to throw a passing touchdown. The offensive line and running game has been terrible. The the, the Irish have only averaged two and a half yards per rush, or they averaged two and a half yards per rush against Ohio State and three and a half yards against Marshall. Yikes, not getting it done. Not getting it done. Now, is Marcus Freeman going to be fired tomorrow? No. Marcus Freeman going to be fired after this year? No. But <clears throat> as we know, black coaches, especially when you're speaking about college football, really don't get the same opportunity that their white counterparts do. Mar- Marcus Freeman is not going to get the Scott Frost treatment in terms of years upon years of underachieving, underachieving but still keeping his job. Marcus Freeman is not going to get that. They'll fire him first before they give him a second chance to try to turn things around. Now, Marcus Mar- uh, Marcus Freeman seems to have the makeup and the character and the talent to get this turned around. I just hope that he does because I'm quite sure he's aware that he's not going to be giving, especially at a place like Notre Dame, that uh, he's not going to have the ability to have the time to work this thing out quicker than others. So, there you go. All right, I'm out of here. I am good to go. Well, I thank you so much for listening to this podcast again. I'm going to end with the greatest. I'm going to end with the legend. I'm going to end with the goat. I'm going to end with the one and only. I'm going to end with my musical hero and musical idol. I'm going to end with the American icon. I'm going to end with the greatest rhythm and blues singer of them all. I'm going to end with the most soulful of soulful brothers who've ever walked this planet in the 21st century. I'm ending, or even the 20th century, I'm going to be ending the show with a little bit of Otis Redding, with a little bit of try a little tenderness, because that's what we need, man. That's what we need in this world today more than anything. Try a little tenderness. You find somebody who is who has love in their heart, who has respect for others, and you try a little tenderness with the, with them. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what this world needs now. Happy belated birthday to the greatest of them all, Otis Redding. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. Mr. Redding, R.I.P. Do your thing. Young girls, they do get weary Wearing that same old shaggy dress Yeah, yeah But when she gets weary Try a little tenderness You know she's waiting Just anticipating For things that she'll never
Drop 